Waters Elementary. Um, I've mentioned this a few times, but the school has told us for the summer, they are remodeling, I think, the ceilings, the AC. So for nine weeks, we need a new location. So starting next Sunday, we will be at Hammock Point Elementary, three miles north. And we have these little flyers in the back with the address, same time, 10.30. Uh, we'll be there for the next nine weeks, only nine weeks. And uh, we talked a lot recently about our thought life, contentment, anxiety. And if you, know, if you feel that, I felt that too. It's only nine weeks. And uh, we'll be back here, hopefully by August 11th. So just make sure you know that, you're aware of that. But Philippians chapter 4, um, let me just kind of, again, catch you up to speed. So this is our last uh, teaching from the book of Philippians. And here's been our hope. I don't ever just want to finish a book of the Bible and just kind of like move on. Next week, we are starting the book of Nehemiah. Yes, I'm very excited about that. But as I've been praying really just for our church, as I've been praying for what's been the impact of the book of Philippians, I think there's a lot of thoughts that come to my mind. The main thought has been this, as I said, Paul is saying, live as citizens of heaven. Bring heaven to earth. Paul is basically saying over and over again, uh, I know that you have Roman citizenship and you have certain rights and privileges. And I know that the goal for you as Philippians is to bring Roman culture to Philippi. But he's saying, don't seek to bring Roman culture to Philippi. Seek to bring heavenly culture to Philippi. Seek to bring the kingdom of God to earth as it is in heaven. And so Paul's kind of going out this in different ways, telling us, here's how you can live as citizens of heaven. Here's how your lifestyle will look different. Here's what it'll look like to follow Jesus with everything. So I love this book because this book has some big picture ideas. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That God will be faithful to finish the work he started. So there's some big picture ideas and there's some small ideas. There's some small ideas just saying, hey, do all things without complaining and disputing so they may become blameless and harmless children of God. Hey, consider your thought life. Think of things that are pure and noble and lovely and good report. So it's really interesting. This book is saying, hey, live differently. You're not from this world. This is not your true home. Your true home is in heaven. So your lifestyle is going to look different. So let me just catch up to speed on how we're going to close out our book and our time for us. So the last five weeks in Philippians 4, Paul said this. Philippians 4.1, Paul said, stand firm in the faith. And then he gives us ways how to do that. So the first thing a few weeks ago we looked at was disagreements in the gospel. How do you stand firm when there's disagreements amongst a church community? And then Paul talks about anxiety and the gospel. Uh, what does that look like? How do we deal with anxiety? How do we surrender our, our anxieties over to the Lord? Then Paul talks about our thought life and how that's so connected to anxiety. And he moves on from the thought life and talks about contentment. And contentment is so connected to our thought life. And he moves on from contentment to generosity. And this is so connected to contentment. He said, here's how you can be content. And he's really exhorting them and thanking them for their generosity. And so today what we're going to look at is simply generosity in the gospel. Generosity in the gospel. And here's one of those things. Here's my prayer for us. Um, my prayer is that God would make us a generous people. That just in all areas of our life would be generous. I, I know that this is one of those topics, especially if you're new, welcome. Uh, we're talking about generosity, and this is like our first time ever. Um, but this is for us one of those things to say, God, make us more like you. You are generous. God, let us be a people who live this way who carry this out. I read a book years ago by Tim Keller called Generous Justice. I do want to recommend this. I read this about seven years ago. And let me just say this. God radically changed my view of generosity, of giving, of social injustice, of justice in general, of ultimately bringing the gospel to these broken areas. God honestly had to radically change how I viewed homelessness and poverty. I'm saying this was such a radical, impactful book. Um, it's in simple ways, big picture to just how I treat and love people. This is in the small ways when I think, I think I was the guy like 22, 23 years old. We'd go to a restaurant, we'd split a bill, and I'd be like, hey, who got the extra ranch? It's 50 cents more. I used to be like that guy. Everyone hates that guy. And I feel like God had to like really work on my heart in and, and so many ways. 
and just saying, hey, listen, I, I've created you to be a generous person. And so uh, my hope and prayer is that we don't just go through topics, but the Holy Spirit would do his work in us, that ultimately he'd make us more like Jesus. I can't think of anyone more generous than Jesus. And so I want to get to the why. I want to get to some big reasons. But ultimately, I'm saying, God, make us more like you. As we talk about contentment, anxiety, thought life, now generosity. God, make us more like you in these ways. And so we're going to read the end of Philippians 4. And it's Paul basically celebrating this church's generosity because they were crazy generous, as we'll see. So Philippians chapter 4, let's read verse 10, and then we'll uh, go to the end and pray. So Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, let's just read it all the way through. He says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be a base, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That was last week's message, if you want to go back and take a listen. But it's just so connected to verse 14. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, that's where they live, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, remember that book, Thessalonians? For even there, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound and, and am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now to God, now to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. And he says this, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are also with me greet you. I love this verse. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. Even Caesar's guys who are saved now. Uh, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Amen. We're going to pray. We're going to listen more in depth and just ask God to bless this time. So let's do that. Father, we just do thank you. We thank you for your word that is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. God, we just ask, as we've talked about much, that Jesus would not just be much talk, but it produce life change in action. That, God, we would rejoice in you always. That, Jesus, you'd be the source of our anchor, of our hope, of our faith. That, God, when circumstances fall apart, when our thought life gets crazy, God, when discontent begins to stir in our heart, that, Jesus, you'd remind us of the truth from your word that we just rejoice in you and enjoy you. God, I just pray for everyone in this room. I don't know their background, their, their, what they've walked through, the things they've experienced. Maybe they've been, they've been hurt in different ways by the church. Jesus, just speak to them. Renew our minds. Just speak to my heart. We just want to be more like you ultimately in your wonderful name. Amen. Last Sunday, uh, my son, Micah, who's turned four, he just turned four, and we've been trying to explain to him the concept of money. He doesn't really get the idea of money. Um, whenever we go to the mall, we pay for like a little train ride or do something fun with him. He, he doesn't really get it. He thinks you give your money 
They give you the product you're trying to buy, and then they say, here's your money back. He doesn't really get it. He's like, okay, I got it. Where's my money? And I, I think I, I would love that. I kind of have that. Maybe you have that mindset. I think many people still do. Um, money is a really tough thing for kids to figure out. Like, even we're just, we're kind of like trying to deal with, like, do we give an allowance? How much? What does that look like? What does it mean? Do, do we reward just doing natural chores? We're trying to figure some of these things out. But he got some birthday money. And he got some other things. And so we're trying to talk about this idea of giving back to God. We're like, Micah, it's so cool. You got $10. Oh my gosh. Guess what? You get to give God $1 back of that $10. And literally he says to us, I quote, I don't want to give my money to God with such anger. And he literally, I don't know how his mind went there. And he goes, I'm not putting my money in that box at church. Like how did he, he literally said in that box at church. Like how does he know he said that? And we're trying to talk to him about this and explain this. And it's, it's funny just talking to like a little four-year-old's heart and just trying to, no, it's so good. We get to be a part of helping God in the kingdom. Like we get to be a part of this. Listen, all of it's God's, all of it's God's. We're just giving back a tenth to him. It's awesome. And he is not liking this concept whatsoever. And I realize it's not just with four-year-olds. It's in my heart. It's in all of our hearts. I think there's something many people struggle with. This idea of what am I doing here? How, what am I giving back to God? Why am I doing this? Let me just say this really quick precursor to everything and clarify something. If you're new and you're guest, welcome. By the way, if you're not even a believer in Jesus, by no, by no means do we as a church want money. This is not something for you to give. If you're new, if you're a guest, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, we just want you to receive. We don't want expect anything. We just want to bless. We just want to give. The burden is on Christians to be the givers, to say, let us come alongside you, help you. There's not this heart of let us take. There's a heart of let us give. That is our heart in this. We do understand that many have been hurt by the church. We do understand there's been abuse. As I'm studying this week, I literally get a notification on my phone from like BBC and it pops up and a new article comes out and it says, the preacher's getting rich from poor Americans. And that's the title of the article. And I read it all the way through, talking about people trying to spend $65 million on jets and different things. And honestly, it's just terrible, disgusting things. And I can understand why there's been frustration. I can understand why there's been a cynicism that's developed. I would say within younger generations, it's very cynical to look maybe at older generations or the TV generations, preachers and televangelists and kind of get cynical. So much so that's maybe hard in our heart to the idea of generosity. This is one of those things too for here, just so you kind of know our heart. Um, we started being in my house in August of 2017. It's almost been two years. And we, we started uh, almost, almost two years ago. I preached about 90 sermons. And in the 90 sermons, I've never talked about giving and generosity. And some of you are like, yes, that's why I love this church. And to be honest, that's not fair to some of you guys. It's not. Out of 90 sermons, I've never talked about giving generosity. And it's one of those things where I actually felt conviction in this because I think there's a fear of saying, I don't want to touch, talk about this because it can be so touchy. But in light of that, I've maybe just missed out on a blessing for you guys. I've missed out on you guys experiencing something really beneficial and beautiful about giving to God. There is a verse in Acts 20 where Jesus is quoted as saying, it is more blessed to give than to receive. There's a blessing in giving. And it's interesting, I'm, by no means, and if you've been here for a while, you know, we'll talk about sin, repentance, hell, judgment day, heaven, love, forgiveness. And it's like, why not this topic of general? This is a way where God's going to shape us and form us more into his image and make us more like his son, Jesus. And I think sadly, because of maybe some cultural things or what we've experienced or seen, I can tend to shy away. And that, that's not good on my part. I don't want to withhold blessing in this. I'll tell you personally, and I know others who will say there's such a blessedness and blessing in giving. There's something where you actually feel more, even maybe sometimes intimacy or closer to God because God's a giver. There's just something so beautiful about this. It's interesting too. If you study the Bible, if you study the, the words and sayings of Jesus, anyone will point this out. Jesus talks about giving, stewardship, money 25% of the time. One out of four sermons illustrations is going to be about stewardship, giving, money, greed, 
something along those lines, 25%. So imagine if every four weeks you came here and like another sermon on stewardship and giving and covetousness. Like that was one out of four sermons. Literally, if you study the gospels, that's how it adds up. I mean, over 800 times the Bible addresses the topic of money. Why? Why so much people wonder? Because I think God knows, as Jesus said, you cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and mammon. That money is such a, something that it does to our hearts. Money, as we talked about a little bit last week, money is not evil. Money is neutral. Money in the hands of someone surrendered to God is beautiful. Money in the hands of someone who's self-destructive and selfish can be used for evil and some really disgusting things. Money is neutral. It's the hands controlling that. But the Bible does talk about how the desire for money is a snare, it's a trap. And it's one of those things where Jesus says, let me talk about this so often because I know what our heart is prone to. It is so interesting to me, Jesus says these words, beware of greed. Beware of greed. Why? I'll tell you this, I've had a lot of people come up to me and, and talk to me about their sin and confess sin. I've never had anyone come up to me and say, you know what, I'm really greedy, help me. It's so weird, right? Like people know when they're lusting, they know when they're sinning, they know when they're about to make a terrible decision. But for some reason, everyone thinks someone else is greedy. Everyone thinks, no, the rich are greedy. No, the poor are greedy. No, this person's greedy. We always like to pin it rather than my heart is greedy. And I really do think that's why Jesus says, beware of greed, because he's saying, you're not aware. I'm not aware. So he speaks into it. And giving is a way where we can become, become more like God in the process. So I want to talk about this, because this is what's really interesting. Paul, at the end of Philippians, is saying, guys, thank you. I got your gift. I got your gift here and in Thessalonica. Thank you. Thank you for Epaphroditus. We talked about that guy. I remember Epaphroditus a few weeks ago, but like, thank you for sending him. He's been such a blessing. Uh, and he's just basically commending them. Let me just point this out. Paul's in prison. And the way this worked back then is they actually had to pay their bills in prison. If you want a better treatment, you wanted better food, you had to pay your bills. That's not a bad idea probably actually in some ways, but they had to pay their bills. And so they're sending money to say, hey, we want to support you. We're going to help you. Whether you're in prison, whether you were evangelizing in Thessalonica, we want to support you and help you. And Paul's just basically saying thank you. Now, here's what's really weird. I want to point this out because this is so weird to me. If you read this and read, we'll read this and you read it again and again, Paul never actually says the words like thank you. A lot, of, a lot of scholars point this out. It's really funny. He's like, I'm so happy for you that you gave to me. No, it's really, it's really interesting. Paul actually has the audacity. It's really, Paul's like, you know what's interesting? He says, um, he goes, you gave to me, and I want you to know, even if you didn't, I would still be content. That is like such, that is so bold to me. Imagine you get a birthday gift from someone, and you're like, hey, listen, even if you never gave this to me, I'm just content. You're like, I didn't really need this gift for me to be content. Like, Paul is so bold to me. He actually even goes on to say, listen, it's more to your benefit. It's to the fruit of your account. This is for your benefit. So it's, here's why people think he's doing that. He's trying to avoid flattery. He's trying to avoid manipulation. I think also he's not trying to ignore the topic, but address it. As I think Paul is very wise to how he goes. But sometimes people can say thank you or be really, you know, flatter you to just kind of say, hey, thank you. We're still in need. Thank you. Hey, help. Paul's like, I don't want to manipulate. I don't want to flatter. But I do also want to acknowledge what you've done. I think Paul's just a genius in how he goes about this. So as Paul writes about generosity and their generosity, we're going to use the text to pull out some truths about generosity. We're going to walk this text again, all right? And there's six points, like six. You can't double it. I know, I did. Six points about generosity from what Paul says here. Uh, listen, what, first point's easy. Generosity is good. Generosity is rare. Generosity is rewarded. Generosity is an act of worship. Generosity is an act of faith. Generosity uh, brings glor God glory. All right, this is what Paul is saying about this topic. So let's just walk through this, can we? The first point is this, number one, generosity is good. Look at verse 14 again, verse 14. Nevertheless, he says, you have done well that you shared in my distress. He goes, you've done well. I know this first point's not that profound, but just follow with me. Generosity is good. Not everyone believes that. 
Not everyone believes that giving away is good. Paul's like, you've done well. In verse 10, he says something similar. I've greatly rejoiced that you gave. Paul is saying this is a good thing. Here's why this is a good thing, and please not miss this. This is an image of God issue. You and I can be generous ultimately because God is generous. If there's one thing I want people to know about our God, our God is a crazy generous God. I mean, I want us to think about our God and what the Bible says about our God, maybe versus other false gods out there. Our God is saying, I love you, even if you never give. I love you. You don't have to go pray five times a day. You don't have to travel and do this giant pilgrimage. I'm just going to be generous. I'm just going to love you first. I'm going to show this first. It is crazy to me how when you compare Christianity to maybe other worldviews of God, or even within Christian circles, they don't maybe get this. They think, I have to do this to get some sort of benefit from God, and they maybe misunderstand grace and God's generosity. God's like, I'm just generous. For God so loved the world, he what? He gave. He gave. God gave what? His best. We got to understand our God is an incredibly generous God. Way before me or anyone has ever given to God, God gave infinitely more to us. We can show generosity. Why? Because we're image bearers of God. And there's something I want people to, to get this idea, God, who is one and yet three. You know, God in the beginning said, let us make man in our image. We're made in the image of God, not God made in the image of us. We're made in the image of God. And God, in the Trinity, there's perfect love and communion and fellowship and generosity that already existed before we were created. We already saw perfect love and community and fellowship and generosity within the community itself, within the Trinity itself. And, and this is God's way of saying, I've made you my image. Sin has broken that. Sin has marred that. Now maybe many of us are more predisposed, predisposed to be uh, just more selfish in nature. And God is saying, I'm making you generous. I'm, I'm, I've made you my image to be a generous person. See, it's funny. I want to point out something really quick because we're going to go back to these chapters a lot. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, two chapters, two of the longest chapters on giving, two really the main chapters on giving in the New Testament are 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. Paul writes a lot about it. He actually references the Philippians. We'll look at that. But in those chapters, here's what he says. Here's the reason why. Here's why you and I are to be generous. Can we just start with the why? Let's just start with the why. Here's what he says. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, you know the verse. We say this verse a lot. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he is rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. This is a big reason why we go by the name of the exchange. I want you to think about this. God, who is infinite, God, who has, in a sense, you could say everything. Jesus in heaven with the Father, perfect love, perfect communion. He goes, let me leave it all. Let me enter into creation. Let me become not just a man, but the servant of men. Let me not only become the servant of men, but be, be abused and rejected and denied by the people I created. God, who is rich, became poor. Why? Because you and I were poor. And he's like, I want to make you rich. Now, this is not some prosperity thing of be rich financially. He's saying you and I were spiritually poor. You and I were dead in our sins. And God took on the sin of the world so you and I might be rich. Please hear this really quick. When people talk about giving, there's a few ways you can talk about giving. And this book talks about this greatly. There's a few ways people try to talk about giving. And maybe in a sense, it's manipulative or they try to work things. But they'll do this. They'll say, they'll try to get, guilt you into giving by emotion, saying, hey, listen, look how many kids are out there that are hungry. Look how many people that are broken. I mean, you, we need to do something. And, and that's not a false argument. It's true. There should be some sort of weight on us who do have for those who do not have. 
but they try to appeal specifically to emotions. Some might try to appeal to the will and just kind of be like, you know, if you don't do it, God's going to get you. Right? They kind of like talk about it in that way. Uh, some try to appeal to the mind. They go, think about this. This is the best investment you could make. I mean, you're changing eternities. You're changing lives. And they try to appeal to the mind like, yeah, this is the best investment I could actually make. And they're not necessarily wrong. But here's what the Bible does. Here's what the gospel does. It doesn't appeal to the will, to the mind, to the emotions. It will appeal to those things, but ultimately it appeals to our spirit. Ultimately, it's grace and saying, here's a curveball. Before I try to talk to you about giving, know that your God is the most generous person of all. Know that your God left heaven and became a man, became a servant, died a slave, died on the cross, died as a servant of man so that you could be right with God. And here's what the Bible does. It says, let me appeal to your spirit. Let me appeal to who God made you to be. God made you to be generous. God made you to be like Jesus. God made you first and foremost to enjoy God's generosity way before we could ever be generous. Here's the thing. Um, There will be emotions attached to that. There will be some mindsets made up that we have to have. But first and foremost, God's like, let me appeal to grace. Let me appeal to your spirit by God's grace. This is so different. Listen, Please not miss this as we talk about this. Generosity is good. Why? Because God is good. Because God is generous. And we're image bearers of God. He's like, it's good that you've given. You're reflecting God ultimately when we do that. Christians, we reflect God. We are most like God. I really believe when we are generous. When we are generous with our love. Generous with the resources God has given us. Just generous in general. We're more like, we're most like God. Listen, generosity is good. Simple point, right? Number two is this. Follow with me. Generosity is rare. (laughs) Generosity is rare. Notice what Paul says in verse 15. Read, read verse 15 with me. What does Paul write? Verse 15. He says, Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Generosity is rare. Did we catch that? He's like, you guys were the only ones who helped me in my time of need. He's like, even when I was in Thessalonica, now fun fact, the book of Thessalonians, that is like Paul's second favorite church, basically. Paul speaks really highly of the Philippians and Thessalonians. He's like, even in Thessalonica, you helped me out. That's so interesting that we see generosity just, it is rare. Can I be really clear with this? Philippians goes down as just one of the most compassionate, generous churches. It's interesting how we can look back at churches or history and they're kind of remembered for something. You know, the book of Romans is written to the church in Rome. They're remembered for their great faith. They had great faith, being fed to lions, being persecuted left and right. They are remembered for their great faith. If you you ever read the book of Corinthians, they're remembered for something a little bit different. More their like moral looseness, you know, their party lifestyle. That's like what Paul's writing to the Corinthians about over and over again. Uh, More for their divisiveness. If you've ever read the book of Revelation, he says, Ephesus, you work really hard for God, but you've left your first love. That's how they're remembered. To Laodicea, he says, you know what, the Laodicean church, you're lukewarm. You're kind of halfway in, halfway out. To the Philadelphia church, the church in Philadelphia, he says, you love God, you get it. It's interesting how churches are sometimes remembered for different things. For the Philippians, they're remembered for their great generosity. And what a great thing to be known for. (laughs) Honestly, just praying for our church. I don't know what that would be. I know it's a young church. I know that we've been around for like two years. But what are we known for today? What will we be known for in 10 years and 20 years and 30 and 50 and 100? Hopefully we plant many other churches and the gospel just comes out of it. Many churches are planted from, from this church. But what will we be known for? How will we be remembered? He goes, you're remembered for your generosity. It's interesting. Again, we're going to read the verses up here. Paul's writing to the Corinthians about, hey, Corinthians, you need to be like the Philippians. You need to be more generous. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 
where he mentions this. We'll put the verses up here. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Listen to, to what Paul says. He says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. He says, for I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gifts and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Do you hear that? He says, the churches in Macedonia, what's that? This is Philippi. It's in Macedonia. He's saying they gave, they gave above and beyond, and they gave even out of their poverty. He's really complimenting them. I wonder if you're a Corinthian church, going, ooh, that probably hurts what he's saying to them. Here's an interesting thing too. He's like, they gave out of their poverty. Uh, myth number one, I think, but we can believe, I can believe is, well, when I get more money, I will give more money. That is not true. This is not. I mean, even just when you look at the stats of that, that is not true. It's like, if you're not generous now, you won't be generous later. Generosity does not happen because you have more. It's usually when you get more that you want to keep it. He's like, they gave from their poverty. So here's why I want to point out really quick, because this is what the Bible says about generosity. Generosity is rare. It is rare. He's like, you're the only church in the whole Bible that actually gave to me. Now, now, why is generosity rare? Let's just talk through this really quick. First thing is this. I think generosity is rare because generosity is sacrificial. It's rare because it's sacrificial. You know, when, whenever we, like, you hear a news story or you see something of someone who's, like, crazy generous, where, like, there's something that, like, our souls greatly touched. Like, I can't believe they're good people in the world. Like, they actually did something and gave something, and it's, like, our souls, like, immediately, like, melt because it just reflects the gospel. You're like, oh, my gosh, they gave even out of brokenness. And you're like, yes, that is so Jesus. And, like, it just kind of reminds us of the gospel. When I say generosity is sacrificial, look at the verse again. 2 Corinthians 8.3, what does it say? 2 Corinthians 8.3, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Is that verse up? They gave beyond their means, out of their poverty. It is sacrificial. It is sacrificial. Here, here's the idea. If we're talking to Micah, we're talking to people in life, you go, there's this old saying that I don't always like, but it's kind of true. It's like, give and told hurts. Like, you're going to feel the weight of it. You're going to feel the sacrifice of it. Anyone can give out of plethora, out of a lot. It's something different though when you give out of sacrifice. Like this is going to cost, I'm saying no to a lot of copies, to, yes to the compassion child. Like I'm saying no to a lot of this to do this. There's something beautiful about that. I'm making sacrifices for this. You see, there's something just throughout the Bible, and in the New Testament, it kind of switches terminology, but there's something throughout the Bible called the tithe. Now, I know that this kind of raises up a lot of questions and debates among people. The tithe is something we see in the Old Testament where people gave one-tenth of their income to God first and foremost. They gave out of their first fruits. They gave out of their gross, what they received. They said, let's give ten back to God. It's really interesting about the tithe. The tithe was not under the law. The tithe was between Abraham and Melchizedek, meaning before the law was ever given, before the Ten Commandments were ever given, we see men of God giving a tithe, giving 10% to God. But as you kind of progress and move on and, and enter into the New Testament, you see this idea of just grace giving, of giving out of generosity, of just saying, I don't want to view the tithe as the ceiling. I want to view it as the floor. It's funny to me, people like argue and say, hey, yeah, tithe, that's the Old Testament. I'm like, yeah, you're right. And we're under grace. How much better? We're under a better covenant. So yeah, let's give less. Good idea, right? There's something about this in which we want to argue with it, justify our position in it. And I just think God's saying, I want to grow in it. So here, let me give you, for me, growing up, I grew up with a dad who was very good, I think, about, from a young age, saying you're going to tithe. And like, it was just so natural. Like my first job at a restaurant, it's like, okay. And I remember the thought he'd say like, hey, God lets you keep 90% pretty good deal. Give 10%. I remember like, oh, you're right. Thank you, God. And now for me, I'll be honest, it did become a little religious. It became like, oh, I give the tithe. Eventually you kind of go, oh, this is a burden. And you kind of feel the weight of that. And I'll say the Bible, 
So things like this book, things, different things kind of said, God, help me not view the tithe as a burden. Help me not view it as my max. Help me view that as my floor. We've been challenged this year to, to give in other areas. We've been to be stretched in other areas that are very uncomfortable. And at times you go, huh? But I'll say this, generosity is sacrificial. It is going to cost something. And you're going to see other ways the Bible talks about this. This is something I think God is doing in all of our hearts, saying, listen, do we have to do this? Absolutely not. I get to do this. I get to be a part of the kingdom of God. I get to partake in God and in in his work and what he's doing. And, and we'll talk about not just that it's sacrificial, it's more than that. Don't lose sight of this yet. Three things really quick. I think generosity is rare because it's sacrificial. I think it's rare because generosity is not a one-time thing. It's continual. When the Bible talks about generosity, it's like, I, I did, I gave it like last leap year. I gave, it was great. Like, no, it's not this one-time thing. Uh, here's the verse. It's 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 2. If you're like, where's this in the New Testament? Here it is. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1 through 2. He says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you are also to do on the first day of every week, Sunday, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. He's like on the first, so it's the idea of this is, hey, it was continual. We're not saying every Sunday you have to do this. It's saying, hey, generosity should be a continual thing. But let's move on from this. I want to actually talk about the most important thing, I think. Generosity is rare, I believe, because it's supposed to be done cheerfully. <laughs> As I look at some of the faces, you're like, oh, it's not, I don't feel this. I know. It's supposed to be done cheerfully. This is key. Second Corinthians chapter 9 Verse 7, listen, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Something simply put, but if we can't give cheerfully, don't give. I know it's weird to like say that from up here, but can you please hear that? God wants somebody to say, I can give God, I can give cheerfully. I can give God, you've been so good to me, I, I cannot wait to give to you. There's something that happens, and I cannot explain it, where Things change dramatically as Christians. So I went from, oh, I have to read the Bible. Oh, I have to pray. Oh, I have to give. And I cannot explain it other than the gospel of grace melting our heart going, I cannot wait to spend time with God and pray. I cannot wait to spend time with God in his word. I cannot wait to give back to God. I can't wait to be part of the kingdom of God in this way. And I, don't ex- I can't explain that. I don't know how that works always. I think it's a work of the Holy Spirit saying, let me understand. Let me show you how good God is. Let that melt your heart where you're loving, you're serving, you're giving, you're praying. All of these things from place of the gospel doing something deeply rooted to our hearts. Amen? Paul's interesting saying, generosity is rare. You were the only church that took care of me, even when I was at another church. Like, hey, money's here for Paul while we're at another church. Like, that'd be embarrassing, I feel like, for the Thessalonians, but he's like, you guys were it. Thank you. Number three is this. Generosity is rewarded. Generosity is rewarded. And please don't lose sight of this, and I don't want this to be abused by any means, but let's just understand this biblically. Generosity is rewarded. Verse 17. Will you look down? Read with me, verse 17. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Verse 19 talks about the idea of how God shall supply all of your need according to Christ Jesus. It's crazy. This is something I know many people struggle with. Here's, here's what's sad. There's something called the prosperity gospel where I do think people take a truth of this and they abuse it too much. They'll say, um, look, at God is going to supply all of your need. They kind of twist it to want. You know, they say, listen, I'm seeking the fruit of your, and they kind of make it sound like God's a pinata and our faith is like this whacking stick. Like, all right, here's God. You got faith, whack. Oh, blessings come out. Like, no. I think it's abused so often. But here's the idea. There's always a partial truth to this, and the enemy kind of perverts it. The Bible's not ashamed to say there's a reward in generosity. Paul is just trying to be really clear. I'm not trying to manipulate. I'm not, I don't need the money. I actually am very thankful that the, there's fruit abounding to your account. What does that mean? We're not fully sure. He could just say, I'm so glad you're, you're growing and maturing fruit to your account. 
I'm so glad you're investing in eternal things, fruit to your account. He could just be saying practically, my God's going to meet your need. There's so many ways. Here's the thing. The Bible does talk about, in a sense, rewards for good stewardship. Can we acknowledge that? Jesus said this over and over again. You are faithful with a few, I'll make you ruler over what? Many. There's the, throughout the Bible, there's five crowns mentioned. If you're faithful on earth, and he talks about different ways, there's five different crowns mentioned. My point being, the Bible's not, not going to shy away from the reward side of this. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Again, it says this, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. He uses an agricultural principle. He's like, you have some seed. If you put a little bit of seed in the ground, you might get a little bit of crop. Put a lot of seed in the ground, you might get a lot of crop. The idea is like, there's just this principle attached to this. And, and it, again, we can, this can be abused. People can act like this means God owes you something. God is not in debt to us. But there's a side of this where you say, God, I want to I sow a lot because I want to see your kingdom grow. I want to do a lot because I want to see you. I want to reap bountifully, not sparingly. And then when I say generosity is rewarded, 2 Corinthians 9.8 says this, which is interesting. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. It's funny when you read commentaries on things like this, like, what does that mean? Everyone's like, I don't know, but it's good. (laughs) It's saying like, be generous, live this way. God will make all grace abound to you. I'm not sure how that could play out. It might not be till heaven. I don't want to give false promises. I love Ephesians 1. It says, God who's blessed us in the eternal places with all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Might be in heaven, you'll go, I don't think anyone's gonna get to heaven and be like, oh my gosh, I should have tithed less. I should have given like, I, this per- yeah, I know they came to heaven, but I, don't, I, really sh- I really wanted that barbecue. Like, I don't know if that would be something that we're gonna like, struggle with in our heart. It's, uh, but time and time again, let me give you two more verses. Proverbs chapter three, which is known for like trusting the Lord with all of your heart. Proverbs three verse nine says this, honor the Lord, listen, this is a proverb. This is wisdom. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. I don't always understand this, but generosity is rewarded. He's like, just honor God. God, this is yours. God, thank you for the 100% you've given me. I'm going to give you back 10. Thank you, God. And he's just like, watch God honor that. Honor God, watch God honor you in that. It's a verse, again, that, that people... I'm sometimes afraid to quote verses because how people can twist them, but it's still in the Bible and needs to be read. And one is Malachi chapter three. And just please listen to this. Malachi three verse seven says this. Ever since, listen, God's speaking. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. God says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are, you, how are we robbing you, God? God's response in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in the house. Test me in this. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Again, however you want to play this, you go, well, that's in Malachi, and that's for that time period. The Bible is just consistent with saying God rewards generous generosity. I don't fully get that. I don't. Whether now or later in heaven, God rewards generosity. Interesting how God says, return to me, return to me. And they go, how? God's like, stop robbing me. You want to know how to return to me? Get, give. Be generous. I've given you everything you have. Why do you keep, why can't you give anything back? And God's like, just test me in this. Test me, see what I'll do. This really is powerful, strong language. The only time God says, test me. We're told not to test him. And God says, test me in this. It's just one of those things he's saying, listen, wh- why? Why would you keep robbing me? I've given you everything in your life and you act like you worked for it. 
everything in your life I've given you, and you act like you've, you've done it yourself. Stop robbing me. This is something where, even for me, you guys, when, when I give, I'm not giving to, I'm giving to the church, but ultimately I'm giving to God. You see, the tithe was used to support the work of the Levites, the Levites themselves, the works of the, of the temple, the sacrifices, many different things. People would give 10%, then they'd give for the festivals. It's calculated that most people gave about 25% of their income. Then after paying taxes, maybe to, to Rome or different things, they live off 50% of their income. I mean, it's, it's crazy when you do look at this and they're going, but God, this is yours. I'm going to live minimally for, for you. I want to give back to you in this way. And there's just something they're saying, God, we want to be part of a greater work. I mean, the church, I think, was so uh, effective in the early days because they're saying, we're going to take care of the poor. We're going to take care of the orphan. We're going to take care of those in need. We're going to give money and time and, and energy. And those who don't have, we're going to serve. And, and we're gonna, whatever we're going to give. We're going to be generous in all areas because the gospel says God was so way more generous than you and I could ever be. So it's just naturally going to come out. Number five is this, or four is this. Uh, generosity is an act of worship. Generosity is an act of worship. This will be quick. Look at verse 18. What does he say? He says, indeed, I, I have all in a bound and, and I'm full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Look at that last phrase, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice to God. This is worship language. Just like God said, man, when the, when the bulls and the lambs are being on the burnt offering and there's smokes rising to heaven, that's a sweet smell to me. God's like, because why? You're sacrificing your livestock. You're sacrificing things that provide you uh, a home and food. You're giving it to me. And he goes, that's sweet smelling. And Paul's saying, we're not offering bulls and goats, but we're offering our gifts to God. And God goes, that's really pleasing to me. It's an act of worship. We got to understand that generosity really is a way of, to worship God. God, I'm going to give to you because I want to worship you. You, you know this verse that David, David said this, and it's just still so profound. When David's building the temple and building the altar, he goes to the one who's building the threshing floor, and, and the th he gets the price. And here's what David says to him in 2 Samuel 24. It says, uh, uh, where is that verse? It says, then King David said to Aruna, no, but I will surely buy it from you for a price, nor will I offer burnt offering to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. This guy who's building the altar, the, the, the threshing floor, says, David, it's on the house. Don't worry about it. You're king. And David goes, no way. I have to pay you. I'm not going to give to God that which costs me nothing. It's an act of worship, my giving. It's a way for me to show God I want to give. You know, we don't do this. And I know that some people grew up in churches where they felt like this was abused and they felt hurt by this. But something I do love and respect when churches do this is at the end during worship, they pass the plate. And I know that can become really religious or traditional. And I know that can become kind of like, oh, we just, here we go during worship. They try to take our money. But the idea of that for us, for Christians, is to say, Lord, during this worship song, let us give our gifts back to you. Let us give back to you, God. This is an act of worship for me. Let it be a sweet-smelling aroma. Not just the praise of our lips being a sweet-smelling aroma, but as we give back to you, let it be a sweet-smelling aroma. And honestly, for us, practically today, when I get an email and it's like, your gift went through, I pray over that and go, God, let that be multiplied in your hands. Let that reach lost people. Let that, let that win people for the gospel, equip saints for the ministry, and they pray over that. Let it be worship for you. When you write a check, whatever it is, like pray over it and say, God, this is worship to you. I want this to be an act of worship. It's a sweet smell aroma, Paul says. Number five is this. Generosity uh, is an, not just an act of worship, but it's an act of faith. It's an act of faith. Verse 19, it says, and my God shall supply all your need according to the riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now, again, first thought, all your need, not all your wants. Yes, He'll supply all of your need in Christ Jesus. But here's what I love about this. Do you get what generosity does? It's saying, God, money for me is my safety. It's my security blanket. It's my God so often. But I'm giving it back to you because you, you are my God. And what you're doing is when we give money to God, you're saying, God, I'm trusting you to provide in the lack. I'm giving back to you because you're going you're gonna to provide my need. 
Know a little about Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. I can treat money as a shepherd. I can treat money as this will be my safety. We still have medical bills for, for our baby, and we're going, okay, this will be, money is my, and I can view that rather than, God, you're my shepherd, I shall not lack. And I can still fall, I fall into those traps all the time. And, and here's the idea. He's saying, God's going to meet your need. Generosity really is an act of faith. You're saying, God, I trust you in this. I trust that you're going to meet my need. Not my wants, you're going to meet my needs. Lastly is this, generosity brings God glory. Look at verse 20. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Really quick. Um, generosity brings God to glory. Here's what I love. Paul's like, yo, I'm in prison. You're supporting me in prison. People are getting saved in prison. Hey, just want to let you know, Caesar's household says what's up. <laughs> like, like Caesar's bodyguards, the believers, they say hi. That is awesome to me. Paul's like, even though I'm in prison and I felt like the gospel is coming to an end, it's not. It's actually spreading now through the prisons all the way up to the palace guard. He says that in Philippians 1.11. He talks about the palace guard being saved. Paul's saying, hey, and they say hi. Generosity brings God to glory. Just, I don't know always how. I don't know always when. I love the verse in 1 Corinthians 3 where Paul's like, I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. Many times we're just planting, we're sowing, we water, and we go, God bring the increase. We don't know when, we don't know how, we don't know how big the increase, we don't know, but we do know we don't want to sow sparingly because we don't want to reap sparingly. We want to sow bountifully because we want to reap bountifully. And there's this idea of just this language in the Bible where it ultimately brings God to glory. Here's the thing, church. This is not just some, it's not some message of just you need to give. This is saying, it's funny how I'll say, God, I want to give you my life. I want to give you my sexuality. I want to give you my ego. I want to give you all of me. And then God's like, okay, but what's that thing you're still withholding? And so often it's, I'll give you all of me, but my money? And God's like, I, want, I just want you. See, it's not that he wants money. He wants, it's a byproduct. It's like, I want, I want all of you. Myself included, I want all of you. God, I, I'm just going to give you all of me. So just a few questions to reflect on myself for us as we end. Here's a few questions we'll put up here. Do you, in, in light of glory, do you glorify God in all that you do, including contextually here, your finances? This is what Paul's basically saying. Number second question is, in what ways are you and I currently being generous? There's other ways. How are we being generous? And lastly, in what ways are you and I participating in the kingdom? At the end of the day, how are we participating in the kingdom? How are you saying, this is, what I'm a, this is what I want my legacy to be? They're known for their compassion and generosity. They're known for their giving and their receiving. I want to be known for just what I have done for the kingdom of God. Whatever that is. Again, here's the thing. Let me just say this, by the way. If you're new, you're guest welcome. We don't want or expect anything. We just want the Holy Spirit to speak to you, to bless you, to love you, to show you that Jesus gave it all first. My heart for everyone is first and foremost. Even, can I tell you this? Even if you never give a penny to God, do you know that God loves you infinitely? Do you know that God's love does not grow because you give him more? Do you know that God cannot love me any more today at this moment than, than a month from now? I cannot make enough sacrifices to God for God's love to grow for me. God has loved me way more than I could ever love him. God's love's not going to grow for me because it's infinite. How do you have a bank account that has infinite zeros and add a zero? It doesn't, doesn't change anything. It's just infinite. It's going on. God's love for you is there. Your giving does not add or, or, or subtract. What you do or don't do does not add or subtract. God's love. I love my son to death. What he does, what he doesn't do, I might be hurt, I might be disappointed, but my love for him will not change. It's not like, oh, I love you more now. That'd be sick. <laughs> It's like, uh, there might be a sense of pride or yes, he's getting it. Yes, he's growing. Yes, he's maturing. But my love is just still the, all the way there. And you got to understand this about God's not like, I'm after your money. I'm after your heart. I just want you. 
And if there's for some reason that's pulling us, like, well, I don't want to do this yet. It's like, but just ask a question, why? Why? What is keeping me or you from being generous? Why? Is, is that your shepherd? Is that your God? Are you serving God in money? What is the thing ultimately God's trying to deal with? This is, this is so much bigger than money. This is so much bigger than what we do or don't. This is so much bigger. God's like, I just want all of you. God's like, I'm going to be generous even if you're not. I'm still going to give you talents, times, abilities. I'm still going to give you my word, the truth, Jesus, the community, fellowship, friendship. I'm still going to get, whether or not you ever give to me, I'm still going to be giving. That's just the God we serve. I'm so thankful for that God. Amen? We're just going to close our time with worship. We're just going to say, God, we want to sing to you. We're going to pass out the plates. No, we're not. But we're just going to sing to God, and we want that to be just an act of worship. And not that that's wrong. It's not, by any means. We just want to be pure, a pure heart before God. Amen? Can we pray? Father, we just do ask that um, our hearts in this would be pure, that my heart in this be pure, that Jesus, when we personally, as a couple, individuals, as a family, give to you, God, let it just be an expression of worship. Let it be an act of faith. <laughs> Jesus, I just do thank you so much for this church in Philippi that, that just gave, even in their lack. What a testimony it is to us. God, help me give in lack. Help me give in seasons where I have and seasons where I don't have. Jesus, I just do ask that we would be content in all things. Thank you for this group here. Thank you for the generosity we've seen. Thank you, God, for the ministries we can partner with. God, thank you for the international things we've seen, the, the local things. God, just thank you. You're so good. Even as we change locations for the next nine weeks, Jesus, we pray your hand of safety and covering and blessing over that. All the details that go into that. Jesus, we just thank you that we can gather. Wherever we're gathered, Jesus, we believe and know you're there. And so whether it's here or, or there, Lord, we just, we just look to you. We want to enjoy you. We do look forward to coming back here. And God, we just pray for favor on this school and on this place. And uh, Lord, we just want to thank you now, Jesus, as we sing, as we praise, as we worship you in your name. Amen. Why don't you stand and let's end with some worship.